Oh hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Creft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery, to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way, and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. I think the real test of a true peanut butter fan is when you eat it straight from the jar with a spoon. And so I am proud to put my hand up as a 100% peanut butter nutter. So needless to say, I've been a big Fix and Fog fan for quite a long time now too, since way back in my sweet days when I met Roman as a fellow ex-lawyer turned food business owner back when we were both starting out with our businesses. I'm not sure if this is even necessary because Fix and Fog has pretty much become a household name in New Zealand now, but just in case you're not sure, Fix and Fog make the best nut butters right here in Wellington, and not just peanut butter, these guys now also make amazing hazelnut, almond and everything butter too. My guest today, Roman, runs Fix and Vogue along with his wife, Andrea, and their factory until recently was just next door to our Six Barrel Soda Co. factory on Luke's Lane, where I work. So we were lucky to get beautiful wafts of roasting nuts down the hallways, and not to mention the factory seconds, I was not complaining. So I was very happy to get co-founder Roman on the line for a chat today with so many questions about just how exactly you turn humble peanuts into this liquid gold and also all about their very exciting plans expanding and now actually producing too in the USA. Let's hear all about it. Hi Roman, great to have you on for a chat. Thanks for jumping in. I know you've been super busy, so I'm glad to nab you. No way, thanks for having me Grace, this is awesome. Cool, so first up, I really like to start with a bit of this or that, just to get you warmed up a little. Um, So first up, and you can probably tell that I did choose this one, especially for you, big question, crunchy (laughs) or smooth? (laughs) Do you know what? because I've listened to a bunch of your other podcasts, I always feel like these questions are like do or die. Eh? This is at the start. Um, this makes this or gonna, breaks it. This is going to set the tone for the podcast. But um, Don't screw I've, it up. <laughs> I've got this one. Um, I'm crunchy through and through. Um, yes, me too. Yeah. yeah. Especially you're crunchy because it's like serious, like half peanuts in there, which I'm all about. Yeah, that's actually, do you know what? That's kind of, I guess, the birthplace of Fix and Fog was I wanted this really awesome crunchy peanut butter. And um, so that was a lot of the inspiration for like this, how this whole thing started was um, creating that great recipe. Ah, I'm um, so glad you did. <laughs> and I'm glad you like talk about those big bits because I kind of see them as like the salmon that have swum up the river and finally made it. You know, like <laughs> it's a little bit like that, that large piece of peanuts kind of gone through the whole processing line and it still made it into the jar. Made and it out alive. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate every single one of them. So it's worth it. <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got, do you Uber or drive yourself in normal life? Not right oh. now, obviously. Do you know what? Um, I don't do a lot of either, really. Um, I've got an electric bicycle, um, and so I kind of just hoon around Wellington on that. And we've actually gone full noise in our house. We've got three electric bikes, so um, we've got a couple of young kids, and we put them on the back of an electric cargo bike as well. Um, But, yeah, maybe, like, if I had to choose, uh, Uber occasionally um, when the weather's not behaving itself in Wellington. 
Yeah. Oh, electric bike. That's a great way to get around. And do you live quite centrally in Wellington? Yeah, we live. We well, yeah. Like so, we make we manufacture our our, our setup, fix and fogs in the middle of town. Um, yeah. And we live just kind of in a, a neighbouring suburb, so I can just yeah, that's about like maybe like a seven or eight minute bike ride in. Super oh, close. That's so good. Yeah. Hopefully, not too many hills. all right next question for you i've gone a bit different from a summer winter question i've gone autumn or spring oh i like spring i don't know maybe it's the new beginnings of the seasons Uh, i don't know i just think like new zealand kind of comes into its own in spring as well um i don't know everything kind of starts to flower and um i don't know the weather starts to get good that's pretty magic although right Mm. now i'm enjoying all of the the golden trees and the crunchy leaves. So I'm kind of feeling autumn at the moment. Oh, yeah. Might be where that came from. (laughs) All right. So next we've got music or podcast. Oh, man. Um, Do you know, if you asked me like pre-lockdown, I would have just said music. Um, But for some reason, I've just started to get into a few podcasts recently and have just been really enjoying them. Um, I don't know. Probably still music. Um, my kids love listening to music. Um, we listen to some really trashy songs together, so look, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I do that anyway, even without the kids. You don't need yeah. an excuse. <laughs> All right, and then last one. I must have had peanut butter on the brain when I was writing these. I've got toast or bagel. Oh, oh man. I, I probably eat more toast, peanut butter on toast. That's my, my kind of breakfast go-to. But, you know, I'm pretty partial to a bagel. Um, look, toast, lock it in. Mm, a bagel, especially a best ugly bagel, though, currently be Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. So to get started, I generally just like to blissfully pretend for a minute that it's normal life at the moment, and we're kind of in that business as usual. So it'd be cool to get a bit of background from you, set the scene a little bit, because I know that you, like me, have a background in law as well. So to start with, I'd love to hear if you could give us a bit of a rundown on your background, like what you were up to pre fix and fog days. Yeah, sure. Seems like a lifetime ago. Um, it does. And you and I go way back as well. We'll probably touch on that too, um, yeah. as part of this as part of this story. But um, as we both escaped law at the same time, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So I I grew up in Auckland um, and I studied at Otago, and I did law down there, law and commerce, and then kind of legged it straight to Sydney um, after I finished uni and just worked in law firms there. Didn't really find my groove. Never kind of really found my groove with law. Um, liked it but just wasn't a I guess a passion thing for me um and so um I went to the UK um after Australia and and studied studied there I did a master's in law and that's where I met my wife um Andrea who's English and we were both studying law together and convinced her to come back to New Zealand and I kind of fell back into legal jobs but wanted to do um wanted to do something where I could really kind of craft my own path um kind of take control of something um and I really wanted to make something I didn't quite know what I wanted to make but I wanted to make something tangible and I guess you could probably relate to that as well yeah Um, I think you miss that and when you have like an office-based job a law or anything like that really you miss that physical like output like something that you can touch that you've created as a result of your work for sure yeah and but there's so I mean there's so many amazing things that I had with an office-based job like I, 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 I work with really smart people and I like kind of the intellectual stimulation it's probably one of the things I was most worried about really jumping into making food was I wouldn't get that same kind of 
I don't know, that real kind of mental testing that I did with law, but it, I mean, I was completely wrong about that. It's so, it's so <laughs> hard and challenging. Um, yeah, it's, it's different, hard. but it's still there. Yeah, yeah it's definitely still there. Um, but as I was kind of back in New Zealand and um, at that time I was working as a profs teacher, so I was kind of teaching the pro professionals course, which um, gets taught after you do your law degree. Um, I just I just started just experimenting with a bunch of things really. I, I read this book um, that talked about um, talked about a lot of things. One of the kind of the concepts it talked about was becoming horizontally skilled. And that was kind of um, a pre-industrial sort of era where people were really good at doing lots of different things around the home and their workplace or, or whatever. Um, and that kind of I guess resonated with me um, being in law where it was becoming more I was becoming more and more highly skilled. Singular, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of just did a bunch of different things. Like I did a beekeeping course, and I tried to make cheese, and <laughs> and then, but and peanut butter was kind of one of those things along the way that I, I tried and kind of just just kind of grabbed me and um, threw myself into it really. Mm. And when you were trying those things, were you doing it because you thought you would have a business from it, or was it more just you wanted a hobby outside of your job? Yeah, it's that. It really was that. As a, it was a hobby. I was kind of searching for a hobby. Um, something to do in the downtime um, and so I, I, and because of that I was never really kind of that serious about it like there's definitely no business case or anything um, or, or kind of long-term goals or aspirations just like I was just interested in just trying things and trying as many things as I could um, and and Andrea was the same so we were both just kind of doing different things and yeah just just kind of I, I often talk about fix and fog was like a hobby that kind of spiraled into a business. It, it really, it was never meant to be more than, you know, local farmers markets, but it, it just kind of, I, I, got, I got the bug, it just kind of hooked me and mm -hmm. I, I just really wanted to, to throw everything at it. Mm, so you tried like things like honey and beer and things like that. What was it about the peanut butter that, you, that made it stick around? Like what was different? I think maybe it was the challenge of it that it is, it, it wasn't just apparently easy to do at the start. And I know it's kind of, you, you might think it's easy, it's just peanuts and salt, for crunchy and smooth, but there's, there's so much complexity that goes into it with the roast and the texture. And, and all the logistics that went into it as well, like sourcing a jar and creating a label. And I think that idea that it, it was also this creative outlet for me as well, that, that we could, you know, make something and, and experiment with it and we could design our own labels and we could come up with our own name and, you know, it kind of, yeah, it was this, this kind of virgin thing that we could shape and craft. Mm, and very satisfying, all of those kind of jobs, seeing it come to life. Yeah. And I guess uh, just a bit more about how you got everything off the ground in that first place. Uh, so obviously when you're starting a food business, one of the biggest challenges is that food safety side of things. Like you're only small and you only want to sell it at the farmer's market, but you still need a kitchen and a f food plan now it is and everything. So I know from my time at Sweet, like that was one of the biggest kind of hurdles or barriers to entry to getting into the food industry. Some Just to do it legally um, sounds simple, but surprisingly hard. How did you guys get around that hurdle? You're so right about that. It's so hard to find a place, um, and that the I guess the Food Act has changed a little bit now. You can you can make it home if it is kind of approved and vetted. Um, but when you were doing sweet and when I was doing fix and fog, like that didn't exist. You had to be in an approved uh, kitchen, and then you had to be um, approved to that kitchen as well. So 
Oh, I scoured everywhere in Wellington, rugby clubs, um, golf clubs, um, places, you know, town halls, places where I thought that they might have like a commercial license for their kitchen that then I could go in and use. And it's not just about finding the place, it's also being able to uh, work in with the people there. Like I, I, I was working during weekdays, so I kind of needed on the weekends. So some of those places, are, like a rugby club's really busy on the weekends, so that doesn't didn't suit True. them. Um, and you even need like somewhere to keep your stuff there and things, like things you don't even yes. think about. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the costs of it as well, like some were really expensive. And um, I ended up finding um, a lawn bowls club um, that was actually not being used for lawn bowls anymore um, in a suburb called Hotaito. And those guys were super nice and they said, look, um, you can use it on a Friday night um, and we run, a, we run a, a weekend market on the Saturday, so that might kind of work as well. So you could make your jars, store them, and then when the market rolls around, you could set up a table and sell your jars as well. And I remember going in there on the first day, and like I said, it wasn't being used, but um, some old guys still used to like go down and catch up for drinks down there. So they'd be kind of <laughs> sitting in the corner <laughs> getting drunk, and then I'd be kind of in this tiny little kitchen making jars, and I'd kind of leave at the end of the night and be like, man, I hope I don't get, they don't get too drunk and kind of start opening a few jars and, you know. Smashing them. <laughs> yeah dipping a finger in (laughs) (laughs) so good that you could find a space like that and I so like just hearing you describe that I feel that because I it was it's such a heightened time when you're starting a business and so it just takes me straight back we started out baking in a rugby club kitchen and just that smell of the like beer on the carpets I can yeah I can it's almost like I'm back there yeah there's so much naivety, I think, when you start, and and for and and in a good way. Like you, you're kind of you go in with all this enthusiasm and all this energy, and I, st- I mean, I still have it, but it's kind of that blind faith that what you're doing will work. And um, when I look back and just think of all those initial like setup costs, like you talk about like finding the kitchen, but then you need the council approval, and there's a cost to that, and mm-hmm. then. You know, I was, I was always really worried um, dealing with peanuts that are an allergen, so I wanted insurance, and then there's insurance costs. And then all of a sudden, what, what started as like this tiny little hobby business where you thought, oh, you know, I'll just sell a few jars at weekend markets. You've, you've invested thousands and thousands of dollars um, that are not really seen by by people from the outside looking in unless you've, unless you've done it. And, you know, um, and so you, you, you kind of go quite deep quite quickly, I think. Mm, and you're like all in, so better make this work. So you've got the, you've got this recipe for the peanut butter and you've got your kitchen sorted. Uh, but then, like, what do you do then? I guess you don't just buy a bunch of peanuts and smash them up and off you go. There must be a lot more to it in between. What steps did you take from there to, to turn this into beyond the kind of farmer's market business? Um, well, like, so I guess we've been... I mean, we've been going for about six and a half years now, and it's it's like it's it's just always kind of gone up in levels. It, but it hasn't been a huge kind of skyrocket growth. That it's even when we're at farmers markets, we were still um, making for like at the start small like little local stores, and then like one supermarket would come along, and then another one. It wasn't kind of like fifty supermarkets all kind of descended on us and say, "Hey, we want it all." Probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is probably a good thing because man, we we kind of made a ton of mistakes, and I was just doing so many things wrong um, that I didn't really know about, and that kind of blind naivety that I mentioned before. I even remember at the start, I um, you know, you're so conscious of costs, and I was like, "Man, I need some barcodes." That's I'd, I'd seen. I'd, <laughs> I'd been in supermarkets and I knew that food had barcodes. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to find some barcodes. And 
I remember going on Google and typing cheap barcodes and this website came up which is like 101 of like things not to do in business and um, I bought these barcodes and then just you know had them printed on our labels and I got this call from this guy who was in Whanganui and he was like hey man I'm, I'm just in the store and I'm really worried because I work for GS1 which is the global barcode provider and he's like this is a non-compliant barcode oh, no. and I was like man what are you what what is that? I didn't even know. I didn't even know this this kind of organisation existed. And, yeah. and he was like, "Look, I've just scanned it, and I can see your barcode is registered to a defunct liquor store in Kentucky, America." And oh. I was like, "Man, like, <laughs> I look, man. All I know is I went on to Google and they sold me this thing, and I stuck it on my label." So there's oh. all these just kind of really just basic errors which you just make when you're starting out. Um, yeah. That really sums it up, like starting a business is just really a case of going on Google and being like, how do I do this? How do I make peanut butter? Yeah, completely, <laughs> completely. And I kind of wish, I wish I had known someone who was just that little step ahead mm. if they're doing honey or jam or whatever it is, just so I could be like, hey, I'm stuck, you know? What, what, what did like, you how, do about that? Yeah, where yeah. do you get a... I remember we, we, we picked up our, our first supermarket and the, the grocery buyer said, okay, so how many how many jars are in a carton? And I was like, oh, um, what's a carton? She said, it's a cardboard box that you put your peanut butters in. I was like, gotcha. And I was like, I don't have a clue. How many do you want? She was like, I don't know. You tell me. And I was like, 12. Well, She's like, fine. You know, yeah. but it's, it's just all the lingo, the jargon, mm -hmm. and even, even that a carton box. A, a box isn't called a box it's called a carton you know like just, just yeah. basic stuff yeah it's just a whole world and i don't know how people did this before they could google things like that mm. Mm. yeah i'm not too sure either but um it's part of the challenge eh? it's part of the fun of it i think too yeah definitely it doesn't get boring that's for sure so when you first started, you originally, for quite a while I think it was, you just had your, your super crunchy and your smooth peanut butter, and now we're talking like 10 different flavors, and they're quite unusual flavors in terms of peanut butter world. Do you have a process for that new product development? Uh, like, do you come up with that, or does the whole team get involved now? Um, yeah, there's no, there's no formal process. Um, yeah, it kind of spiraled, didn't it? We went from crunchy and smooth <laughs> to, to all sorts. But actually, do you know what? At the start, at the start, I kind of, I kind of think of that as almost forced creativity. That we were, we were pitching our products to supermarkets, and they were just kind of knocking us back, not being very interested. They're like, "Look, lo love what you guys are doing. Looks nice, but hey, it's not for me. I've got so many different brands of crunchy and smooth. I just don't need it." And so that kind of idea that we needed to be different um, kind of came through. Through adversity, really, not not through um, not through any good times, and I've actually kind of maintained that little mantra about being different. Is there's a real power in being different, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to knock it out of the park. It's just an intention to show how you are different. And so we, our first flavored peanut butter was our our spicy one, our smoke and fire peanut butter, and I mean that wasn't developed by me. That was developed by Tom, who I work with. Um, and so many of the peanut butters here, I mean, we, we develop them all ourselves, but they're, they're led by, by the people at Fix and Fog through their suggestions or, or through, actually through people emailing us going, hey, man, I, I really want you to, you know, just blow me away with coffee in the morning for breakfast on peanut butter. And so we're like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, we could run with that. So it's pretty organic. Um, it's, not, it's not too forced, but it's also not very rigid either. Yeah, you kind of have to be flexible, and I like that you listen to what people suggest. That's pretty cool. I imagine you get a million emails like that. 
Yeah, we've had some. Oh, we've had all sorts of strange requests, um, mushy peas and peanut butter. Oh, no, too far. Someone, someone, what about how, like someone said you should tuna once. I thought that was pretty out there. Oh, like wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind pushing the boundaries and being different, but I thought that was kind of taking it to the next level. Yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> too far. Uh, so I guess like peanut butter isn't tr- like a crazy groundbreaking product in its essence. Like obviously your peanut butter is amazing, but we can all agree it's quite traditional. I think I read that it's been around since like 1890 something or something like a long time and even in this craft space that you're in there have been some other craft options here for a while so how did you go about kind of reinventing this very traditional product what were you guys doing differently that made it so so successful yeah um I think it's that I kind of that attention to detail um I tackled it a little bit like a legal problem where you kind of have this you have this kind of this idea or this challenge it's like I want to make the best possible product how am I going to do that and um, kind of breaking it down into all the steps and I think by really focusing on all the little things the kind of the the sum of all those parts adds up to something that's really cool and that's that's really what is fix and fog and so for for something like crunchy and smooth like um, I kind of treat it like a margarita pizza like you're you're working with so few ingredients you've got nowhere to hide so you've got to make sure that each particular process is bang on point. So whether that's the roast, the texture, I mean, we talked about the, the size of the crunchy pieces. Um, even our jar like um, has something called a soft shoulder, which, which no one will really notice, but I kind of obsess over. But that's the top of the jar. And it's, I know what you is, mean. Our, yeah, yeah ours, is, ours is kind of on yeah, what the jar industry calls a soft shoulder. And I liked that because it meant you could get your knife in there and you could yes. scrape the last, the last morsels a bit mm-hmm. easier. Very important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I'd been there, you know, like I'd been in that kind of frustrating place trying to get the last bit out. And and so there's there's that side of things, like doing all the all doing all the little things really, really well. And um, I mean, I, I call our business um, not openly. I, we don't really advertise this, but I, I I want it. I want it to be a force for good. And um, I, you know, we came out of corporate environments with law and um, I kind of wanted to do this business with my values um, and, and the people's values here at Fix and Fog and, and, and do good for the people that buy it, do good for the people that work here and the community who were around. Even if that community is not buying our jars, I still wanted to be a positive impact. Um, and I think hopefully people get that and that resonates with people and 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 in turn they, they support us to, to do that side of stuff. Um, yeah. Hmm. Nice. I like the way that you still, obviously you're not working in law anymore, but I feel like obviously the, the things that you learned in that training has is, is become part of you now and, and you now take that to the way that you approach things in this kind of new new life. So it's not kind of wasted and, and that chapter's not shut, I guess, which is something that people like to ask you a lot when they find out that you used to do law is like, how do you feel about how you wasted all that time? Oh no! Don't, yeah, I don't think it's wasted. Um, mm. I think I think I've got good, hopefully, time management skills that I, I learned. Um, problem solving. Um, also, maybe just this idea of like dogged determination. That and this has nothing to do with law, but I think anyone with a small business appreciates this. Like you only have you only have so much time, but you've you've also got really limited finances. So um, just trying trying to figure things out for yourself, like um, how to build your own website or how to trademark your own company name, you know, like, and and over time those skills kind of accumulate and they've been done, you know, those those tasks have been done out of necessity, but 
you know, it does, you do learn a lot from doing it yourself, I think. Absolutely. And yeah, necessity as well, because you have to, because you can't afford to pay anyone else to do it. <laughs> um, let's talk a bit about family, because you mentioned already that you, you started and run Fix and Folk with Andrea, your wife, and you guys now have two kids as well. So I know from experience that running a business with your spouse can be really amazing. There's definitely benefits there, no doubt. Uh, you're in this together, you're, you're working away on it with one kind of common goal, but there are also some downsides. Like I found it was quite hard having your whole family's income and finances tied up in one basket, I guess. Um, how have you guys found it working together? And I guess, I mean, you're still doing it, so on balance it must be working, but what's that like been like for you? Um, yeah. <laughs> like you say like there's there's really good things and there's and there's also challenging things to do with it um and yeah like Andrea and I still both both work in the business um Andrea does a bit more of the heavy lifting at home helping with the kids but still deeply involved in in fix and fog um and like at the start there's also the the unsung jobs um that happen like um you know like when it was all hands-on and it's it still is like pretty intense but in the beginning when I was, I was making in the evenings and stuff I mean Andrea Andrea was still working um, she worked for the first three years um, just to just to bring income into our house um, because the business wasn't wasn't making enough money in it and I, I actually didn't draw a, draw a salary for four years from Fix and Fog um, so everything we we had just went into it um, and every, anything that the business made went back into it. it was a massive massive kind of sacrifice on, on both of our parts to get it done but kind of over that time I think you kind of figure out where where you fit we're, we're quite different personalities um, but Andrea still really enjoys the legal side of things um, and kind of looks after the employment contracts at Fix and Fog and she'll look over kind of agreements and documents and stuff whereas I'll kind of sit more in this the strategy side of things and but that that kind of groove that each of us found that wasn't that wasn't kind of apparent like we tripped over <laughs> each other so much and it can be a blessing that you're both kind of, yeah, you're in it and you're both committed to it and you're trying to push it in the same way. But there's also, you've got to be so good about turning off. And I'm not particularly good at that. Andrea's much better at it than me. But just having your own time where you don't talk about work at dinner yeah. and at night time um, and making sure that we're giving enough energy to our kids and hanging out with them and mm -hmm. that side of things. And I, th I think you've got to be pretty disciplined about that and that is a learnt it's <laughs> definitely a learnt skill yeah absolutely and it's an interesting one because as a couple if you worked in separate places and you came home at night you probably would talk about work over dinner like that's not that unusual but it's just when your work is you know you've been together all day at work or you're working on the same thing yeah I see what you mean you do have to put a stop to it at the front door we used to do that too quite often yeah yeah and, and also mobile phones, right? Like that's another thing. They just encroach mm. on your life so much. And so like, you know, the amount of emails we get and, and you've, again, you just got to kind of put them down and, and try and look at them in the morning. Um, yeah. yeah. Put do not disturb on and try and, yeah. try and get on with your home yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> not always possible. But um, so we kind of touched a little bit on your, the growth that you guys have had. And I, I like the way you've described it as being step by step. But it hasn't, you know what didn't go from one to 50 stores overnight that kind of thing yeah. so I guess one kind of challenge maybe for you guys in growing 
uh, is that you've obviously got to craft a boutique product, but you get bigger and bigger and you get ranged in more supermarkets and, and overseas and everything. I imagine that it must get harder and harder to keep that kind of magic that you guys had being a craft boutique brand that was very small and what's special about it. Uh, have you found that to be a problem, I guess, as you've grown? And if you have, have you come up with some strategies now to keep or to mitigate that kind of problem? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, it's kind of the growth dilemma. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, resi- I mean, I resisted it so much at the start. Um, and I had these visions that, um, firstly, that Fix and Fog would never be in a supermarket. We'd just be super local, hyper local, you know, just yeah. in these few discrete spots. And I remember this, an owner of a, uh, a, a big New World phoned me up. And it's like, oh, hey, um, I've heard about your product. And um, my partner's actually talking about it. She loves it. I'd like to put it in my store. And I was, I was at the start, I was just like, oh, look, sorry, just can't do it. Um, but in hindsight, like, what an, what an opportunity to have turned down. Um, and I think the way that I, I rationalize growth is um, it's linked to values. And I think you can grow, but so long as your values are, are unchanged, as long as you kind of fiercely defend those values and you keep those values, um, I think people, people are quite happy to see you grow. And so as we've grown, it's that idea for us that we, we, you know, we donate more jars to city missions and women's refuge and that side of things and, and um, that we, we keep a hold of those because that's what makes us who we are and, and they actually attract the people who work here and the people here define what Fix and Fog is about. So it's all, it's all kind of linked. Um, and in terms of, in terms of, I guess, the, the process, like um, how we keep the product tasting the same, yeah, that, that we spend a lot of work on. Um, I mean, I, I, um, I was hand sieving. I think for the first 18 months, I hand sieved all our crunchy pieces um, <sighs> just, just so the texture could be perfect. And yeah. I ended up finding this, this guy in Christchurch that made gold panning sieves for kind of amateur gold panners. <laughs> Because they, they also care about sieve hole sizes as much as I do. I know, all these places you never knew existed, eh? Yeah. So he made me this kind of large sieve and I was sieving away. And I'd, I'd, go, to, I'd go to someone's house and I was like, man, do you, like, do, you like, do, you like that? do you like that crunchy peanut butter? And they'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good. And I was like, all those, all those pieces? I hand sieve them. And people <laughs> look at me like, are you like just, are you delusional? Like, what are you doing? But you kind of figure out that there are, um, I mean, we have a thing called a nut kibbler now. And it chops nuts, and we can set the setting on it, and it, it's amazing. And it means that I don't need to hand sieve. But it took, they're not easy to find, but you just kind of keep working away and trying to find them. I think the part of growth that pains me the most is trying to be nimble. And as you get bigger, it's, the, it's, it's a bit harder to be as reactive, um, and my time's a bit more stretched. And um, there's all these things that I want to do, but... Um, I can't necessarily do them all at once like we used to be able to do. <laughs> you can't do, you can't say yes to everything. And you you especially must get a lot of people like knocking on the door with ideas and opportunities and, and everything. So do you have some kind of like framework for how you weigh things up and, and make decisions in the business? Or do you just follow your gut and, and um, listen to whatever it's telling you? It's probably a little bit of both. Like like if there's a really cool opportunity, like hands down, definitely we'll do it. Um and so Good Bitches Baking, I think you're involved with those guys, eh? Yeah, um, I'm in the Wairarapa chapter. I helped run the Wairarapa one. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, so they, they approached us last year and they were like, hey, it's World Kindness Day coming up. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do like a yeah. spread spread kindness campaign? And immediately it's like, yes, whatever else we're working on, just mm. put it on hold. This is so cool. So 
I love having the autonomy to be able to like make quick snap decisions and and something that just fits you just know it when you when you hear it and you know it fits it's awesome um, whereas if a, like a large fast food chain approached us and said hey man we want to do like a an FNF branded smoothie we might be like oh, it's not quite us you know that's and and so I think for small collaborations really really cool love doing that if it's I mean releasing a, a new product um, that's probably the biggest thing when I talk about being nimble that is that is so hard like there's minimum orders for like how many labels and ingredients and everything we do and we need to get product tested and it has to be shelf life tested it has to be lab tested you have to buy barcode like there's there's all these little things that I, I hadn't really thought about until we're at this stage now that it's like why can't we release a new product next week and it's just like because we need to make sure you know that it's going to taste great that it's going to be healthy it's going to be safe it's going to be shelf stable um i mean we released we released these um a chocolate duo last year chocolate <laughs> i am very familiar with those oh yeah yeah a chocolate <laughs> hazelnut but yeah. I mean, we must have worked on those for over three years you know um and so there's so much pipeline just kind of ground that needs to be covered before we can actually release something but it means that when we release it like we're so confident in what we release but um Mm, people don't see all that behind the scenes uh you know like it looks like you just make it and put a label on it but there's so much more to it than that yeah and I guess there's also a brand consideration that always comes into things like that as well like um you can't do everything and you know like your example about the fast food chain is a good one like you 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 do have to protect your brand that you've built up so carefully over this time and you're not just going to do anything that comes along yeah I think you see it sometimes with brands and maybe there's there's a sniff of desperation or they're, they're just trying to be a bit they're trying to grow super fast but like I, I do like that idea that we're, we're really good at nut nut butters that's that's what we work so hard at um and to kind of keep playing in that space um yeah, yeah for sure stay in your lane so yeah. we kind of hinted a little bit on some overseas activity before, so I'm really excited to hear a bit more about this. It's obviously, the New Zealand market is wonderful, and everyone here loves you, but at some stage, if you want to keep getting bigger, you look overseas, and that takes it to that kind of next level. So it sounds like, uh, from what I've seen, that the US is maybe your biggest focus for growth right now. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that, and I guess how you chose the US to focus on? Yeah, Um it is our big focus. It's a big. It's a big focus. It's a big market. Living and breathing it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We might go down in a ball of flames, but um, <laughs> no. You know, like, but there's some awesome Kiwis really trying to take on the US, and I know you spoke to Jordan um, from the Kaker yeah, recently, and, and she's doing an awesome job in LA. Um, so there's so many cool, inspiring stories, and we kind of feed off those, and we get pumped up by them. Um, but we so. Um, about three years ago, yeah, probably about three years ago, went to like just a, like an evening seminar on Amazon because um, we were looking seriously to export and thinking, you know, how are we going to do it and where can we go? And we went to this kind of seminar on Amazon and we kind of got convinced that selling through an online platform in the States would be quite a cool way just to start. Um, it would, not necessarily the best way, but it just an interesting way because it gives you I mean Amazon's so interesting because it's so widely used in the states yeah it's much bigger um, there than it is here right like, oh it's huge. just massive it's yeah. just massive and um I think like we we did a bunch of research on it. I think that the term peanut butter is entered into Amazon something like 700,000 times a month you know like oh people God. people people are using it restaurants are using it if you run out of like vanilla paste you, you might just grab some on Amazon because you know you're going to get it the next day 
Um, but but I guess the advantage is like for a small Kiwi food company, you can get instant distribution. So someone in New York could buy it just as someone in Alaska could buy it. So all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but when you're on there, you're available and people be like, hey man, I, I live in Seattle. It's like, yep, cool, jump on Amazon and grab it. But but Amazon oh, Amazon definitely comes with its own challenges. Um, <laughs> I've heard this, yes. Yeah, and and it comes with like customer service challenges because it's really difficult for you to talk directly to that customer. Amazon charges a, a pretty big margin. Um, breakages um, are another one, and also just supplying from New Zealand. Like we're on the other side of the world, and it's kind of as as obvious as that seems. Like if we get a spike in sales and say our dark chocolate peanut butter, it can take us like six to eight weeks to get anything back into that warehouse and if you're a customer you don't want to hang around two months you know to get it to get another day you just you just go you just go elsewhere and um but we did we i mean we still sell on amazon and we've so we sold on there it took us about a year to get ready and then um so i've been on there for about two years but that kind of that two years of kind of learning and understanding gave us confidence to then kind of approach um stores in the u.s and that's kind of where where we're in the middle of it at the moment, as we're just starting to talk to manufacturers, uh, talk to supermarkets, but we we hit this massive snag, um, and that idea of man, it's kind of a bit of a theme of this naivety. Um, we, we started sending stuff over to Amazon, and we got this notification saying, "Oh, the peanut butter quota is nearly full," and we were like, "What? A peanut butter quota?" But America um, actually limits the amount of peanut butter that enters its country every year, which you know is just like. I hadn't even thought about that. What, to like protect local producers? Yeah, to protect local producers. Um, And so they grow a lot of peanuts in like Georgia and Alabama. And so they're kind of protecting that industry. Um, And I don't know if New Zealand's the biggest threat to that um, market, but there are are some big players that grow a lot of peanuts, like India and China. So I can can see why the quota exists. But we were getting caught out by that because the quota would fill out and we wouldn't be able to send any peanut butter in there. And so we had this kind of this traction on Amazon. Like, how are we going to get around this? Like, and so um, last year, I, I think I flew to the states about three times, and a couple of other people from Fix and Flo- Fog flew up a couple of times as well. Just really trying to suss out, like, could we set up our own little kitchen in the states, or could we find someone to partner with who could manufacture our, our peanut butter over there? And so that, that's like it's kind of exciting, but it's it is risky. Um, we we found a manufacturer, and that um, they did their first runs for us in February. Um, so um, we I was up there for about three weeks with um, a couple of others from Fix and Fog, literally just watching everything like a hawk and tasting everything. Um, and so now we have Fix and Fog peanut butter that's made in America. That's um, so exciting. Congratulations. That's a big you. milestone. Yeah, it, it is a big milestone. It's untested yet, though, because it's so early. So we're, we're only just, you know, starting to sell that that product. But we kind of took the same idea that we we did um, did with New Zealand with the flavoured varieties. We'd, we'd really tap in and localise who we used. So, you know, I went to Vermont and found maple syrup there. And actually Mojo Coffee, the New Zealand company is setting up in Chicago so we got in touch with those guys and they supply us with their coffee for our coffee and maple peanut butter and so just kind of tapping tapping into that side of the produce um, which has been really really fun. Yeah and what about uh, I'm obviously interested in this but the marketing side of things for that whole new market different customer 
just oh different in probably almost every way how is like what's your plan to get word out about this over there that's not oh, a small question but no nah, it's but as a marketer that's a pretty good question grace um so we and and um i'm kind of comfortable with it now but man we wrestled around with that idea like how do you like there's 330 million people it's the biggest peanut butter market in the world it's the most competitive you're this tiny little insignificant new zealand company like how are you actually going to connect make a difference get people talking about it but we kind of rationalized it with um just being small and and it's there's nothing wrong with being small and we'll just be hyper local so we we've employed a kiwi guy um in texas and um, that kind of relationship just came about through an introduction through a friend of mine at Coffee Supreme who was like, oh man, I know this good guy in Texas. So we met and caught up. And so we're just trying to rep our our brand really hard in, in Texas. Um, and in Houston um, is where, where Blake is based. And so it's kind of this just this idea that we'll just win one customer at a time. And you've got a you've got a state like Texas. I think it has about thirty three million people. So, Still so a like, lot bigger than New Zealand. Oh, it's just massive. <laughs> yeah. Like we could camp out in Texas for ten years. Like we don't really need to leave there. And and so, just that idea of just doing whatever we did in New Zealand. Just take that same approach to Houston. And st don't even think about America as America. Just just kind of narrow it into one city and one state. And um. So we're working on, we're working on building a, a little window at the moment, same as what we have oh, in Wellington. Exciting, yeah. And yeah. it'd just be a really lovely, again, just interface between customers and come and talk to us, and we can talk to them. And um, yeah, I kind of like that idea. It's just just being small. Mm, and and you've got the blueprint for that. So that's something that obviously it won't be identical, but you can you know the steps that you took here, and you can kind of try and do that on still a bigger scale, but not as big as the entire United States. Yeah, I like that. and and I, I guess with a window like the, I mean the way that our Wellington window is set up, like it's just down a back alleyway. It does doesn't need to be on a high street. Doesn't need to have massive foot traffic. It's just like if you find it, you find it. You know, it's, so it, so the costs the costs associated with it aren't, aren't super high either. Um, mm. And that's all part of the magic of it is that you know if people feel like it's a bit special when they found it, that kind of adds to the yeah the brand. Yeah, I think that's right, and particularly where in in America it's a horrible generalization, but everything's just so in your face, like big marketing, big billboards, big budgets, and it's just like let's there's there's something about being discreet and hidden and hard to find that I guess if the customer finds us, that's that's their knowledge. We haven't really hard sold them anything, mm. um, and they're probably more likely to tell five friends. <laughs> yeah, they've discovered yeah. it themselves. Oh, sure. like the I I, I yeah, that. Like what you talk about there, like the power of word of mouth, um, is such a such an amazing thing. And I I I take word of mouth over any digital advertising campaign any day of the week. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's such a delicate thing to manage because it does kind of have to happen organically to some extent. But there are things that you can do to gently push word of mouth along. But yeah. as soon as you slam anything down on word of mouth, it's not really word of mouth anymore. So I, I agree. I agree. But I think like because we grew in New Zealand based on word of mouth, like and okay, didn't didn't like Fixbog just didn't explode overnight because of it. But we just had genuine kind of like customers that were loyal to us and I think that came from that word of mouth and that idea that we don't need to scale in America in 12 months like we can just kind of tick along do our thing um, and, and hopefully it works over over time but that's kind of like a five-year plan you know there's, there's no there's no huge hurry so before we kind of wrap up this bit of the chat I'm kind of interested to know talking to you if if you knew what you know now do you think that you would still 
start fixing folk or do you think that life might have actually been a little bit simpler <laughs> if you'd stayed in the law? Oh, I, I, I wouldn't, I honestly, I, w- I wouldn't give it up for the world. Like the, the people I've met, the experiences, like it, it hasn't, it hasn't been easy, but it's been rewarding. It's incredibly rewarding. It's still rewarding. Um, and, um, I guess I guess I wished I had um, put my hand up more and asked more people for help and advice. Um, and um, I guess I'd encourage people listening to this. Like, if you are stuck with something, I'm here. Um, I'm around. You can flick me an email or call Fix and Fog, and I'll try and help. But just that idea of um, getting that kind of support where I, where I lacked the knowledge. Um, would have probably saved me a lot of heartache and pain but in some ways the heartache and pain motivates you and pushes you more like you get a, a setback and you're like you know what I'm going to get over that and I'm going to get over the next one and the next one it's all part of it all becomes part of the story sure all right so now we should probably take ourselves back into the real world and um, chat now a little bit about what's happening right now because obviously COVID-19 is pretty much taking over everything at the moment so I'm really interested to hear how you found this time to be because you were still operating during level four and then now we are in level three so you still can and I guess that's probably kept things ticking over but I'm sure it hasn't been totally plain sailing so what kind of impact have you seen in business Fix and Fox? Um, yeah like I mean I mean, like, firstly, we've just been super lucky. Just the way the dice rolled for us that we were deemed to be an essential business so the wheels could keep turning here. Um, and, um, I mean, I've got friends in the hospitality industry and, you know, that that particular sector in tourism, obviously, has just been so hard hit. Um, so any kind of difficulty that Fix and Fog has had is kind of nothing compared to some other businesses out there. Um, and I just think it, I mean... Going into lockdown, like our focus really was on safety um, for the people who were going to be continuing working on site here, um, and so office-based staff all went off-site. But how do we how do we look after the production staff and the ops people um, and the customer service people that would still be on site? And um, so we did a we did kind of like a, a big rejig, and we split the teams into two just to try and minimise the amount of contact that people would have with each other within Fix and Fog. And that, that worked really well, but it required a, like a whole new level of flexibility from everyone who did that because all of a sudden some people were working weekends and some people weren't. Um, our, our sales definitely got impacted um, in good and bad ways, but um, obviously we supply small stores and cafes and stuff, so, so that the hardship that those guys went through kind of reverberated onto us. Um, we, we, had, we were selling on Amazon and, um, you know, there's this bunch of just a real kind of globally there's a lot of frenzy buying and so we we had um we had a big run on our amazon sales which which was good for like a, a couple of days but we sold out and then amazon warehouses are just so full of companies trying to restock them that i mean we've been out of stock in amazon now for about three or four weeks so so there's a missed missed opportunity that goes along with that um it's kind of just I mean, it forced it forced us to work differently, like you know, embrace things like Zoom and communicate effectively, and also try and keep morale up when we're all kind of like working in these little silos at home. Um, but I think, like for me personally, it's given me some good headspace away from kind of just the day to day noise of fix and fog. And um, like we just talked about it, but the US, like that's a massive risk for us, and there's a lot of money comparatively for us that's gone into that and a lot of time and did we want to walk away from that because 
that was definitely an option for us. We could have just shut it all down and stopped and be like, well, too risky. <laughs> we're pulling out. We're just gonna we're just gonna stick to New Zealand. But uh, I, I mean, I I deeply believe in what we're doing, and um, if the environment's good or not, we should be able to kind of ride out the bumps. And so we we decided to keep that going. Um, and I think I'm kind of thankful for the time to really kind of stress test that um, idea and and really look at an idea and going, is it is it good enough to ride out through a pandemic? <laughs> and and I believe it is. Yeah, I, I believe it is. So we'll we'll go with it. Yeah, I guess like it's an interesting one because people at the moment it seems to me that everyone's looking locally quite a lot, which is really good for you guys in the New Zealand market. But you've kind of already well say you've clocked it here to some extent so that impact on the global plans is a different layer but then at the same time if you're looking to kind of take that local model and replicate that in the states then you kind of become local there so in a way it seems to me that that might have helped things or that might help things a little bit um in terms of those global plans i think that's right and i, I guess like and and i don't really think of it as a global plan because it's just kind of so hyper local to one one city and I just think oh we're just gonna we're just gonna just try and you know bed into this one place and it makes it makes it kind of easy to sleep at night because you're you we're so it's simple and it's focused and um it just makes it makes it easier one thing that kind of comes to my mind when we've been talking about these things is that quote and I probably won't say it exactly but the eat the best way to eat the elephant is one bite at a time or yeah eat the elephant yeah. one bite at a time and that kind of keeps keeps popping into my head with the way that you guys are doing things and yeah it sounds like you're not just one day waking up and be like we're going to take fix and fog to the world it's like no we're going to take it to houston and then yeah i like and i don't and even if even if even if like even if kind of like brad pitt did like this massive kind of plug and was like this is the best (laughs) thing ever oh my god i've just you know it's changed my life we we wouldn't have the capacity to meet it yeah um and i wouldn't want us to either we don't have the machines here to do it and that's probably be the end of you if you tried yeah and it would spoil it Mm. um i mean we've we've moved five times and in whatever six and a half years because we keep kind of like that little goldfish that's outgrowing its fishbowl but it's always felt right it's always kind of like we take a small space we get a little bit bigger we go to the next space um yeah hmm. so if brad pitt calls you'll be like nah i'm good i'm not sending you <laughs> yeah <laughs> thanks but no thanks brad come back in five years yeah. time <laughs> yeah uh, so i always like to kind of ask how we as members of the public can help out these awesome businesses that we're talking to and i guess for you guys the one is kind of obvious buy some peanut butter um and that won't be a problem for most people because it's a bit of a pantry staple anyway um but is there something that we won't have thought of that we can do to to help support you guys during this weird time yeah uh, well i just think like I mean, this we're we're so inter everyone's interconnected, you know. Like, if if a cafe does badly, the person that's washing their uniforms does badly. Like, and and there's 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 no one big cry to call to action from me, but um, I I do love this idea, and I've been trying to do it now that um, we're at level three, and those small independents are opening up, where those people are kind of wearing their heart on their sleeves, and they're so small businesses, so fragile that if you can go and get a coffee from a, a small roaster or there's a little takeaway joint that's just been doing an awesome job go and support them um, because when that happens we all win um, that's what I kind of think yeah that's a good way of looking at it and I I feel like it's made me especially and this will be like the same for everyone just so much more aware of where 
you know, like our purchasing decisions and where we're spending our money and who to support. So, yeah, we can definitely do that. And I will also continue to eat the chocolate almond butter with a spoon from the jar. <laughs> somebody has to do it, but it's hard work. Yeah, you're going to take a hit for the team. Thanks, Grace. Oh, it's hard work. Someone's got to. All right, so I think it's probably time to wrap this up so you can get back to factory. This is your first day back since the lockdown, so I'm sure your to-do list is long. Um, but before we do, do you have a bit of piece of advice or top tip that you've learned along the way that you can share with us? Oh, um if I have one tip, I, I just think it's don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, we have such an amazing culture in New Zealand that people are happy to share knowledge. Um, you just kind of have to be brave enough to ask for it. And if one person says no, don't worry, there'll be another person in the next down the road who will be able to help. Um, and I, th I think that's such a cool thing about particularly the food industry here. Um, it's, it's small, it's tight knit, um, but we're always happy to share knowledge. Mm, that's so true and I've been on both sides of that and I can testify that people are so so generous with their with their wisdom and yeah. I know that you would be the same so that's awesome thank you so uh, I guess you better get back to it but thank you for taking this time while things have been so hectic especially with all your USA things going on and that old global pandemic so I do appreciate <laughs> it um, no and thanks, thanks yeah, for having me Grace yeah no worries look forward to seeing how everything goes overseas Nice one. Thank you. Thanks, Cheers. Roman. Bye. I just loved that chance to ask Roman all of my burning peanut butter related questions. I hope you found that one as interesting as I did. I really enjoyed the Fix and Fog style to growth, one bite at a time, and also Roman's honesty around starting out. I think it really does show that you don't have to have it all figured out before you start. And in actual fact, figuring out as you go along is kind of all part of the fun and the challenge of it all. And of course, Roman's advice around asking for help is 100% true. I think you'd be surprised who is willing to help if you just ask. Make sure you head along to the Fix and Fog website for some peanut butter shopping. You can even buy four kilogram pails on there, trust me, <laughs> or pop a jar in your next supermarket shop too. They're a great follow on social media as well, at Fix and Fog, lots of beautiful peanut butter pictures, and also some wonderful recipes for you to check out on there too. Thanks for coming along for this peanut buttery ride with me and for every time you listen. Please do know that I see every single download and I really do appreciate everyone as well as all your love on Instagram at peptalk1z. Every like and comment is 100% appreciated and noticed. So thank you. Until next time, bye. <laughs>